There are times when I think that the committee that sets the readings for Sunday morning is laughing at us. Today's gospel begins, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then the letter to the Philippians. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. I reserve the right to worry about this morning's gospel. It's disturbing, the sort of thing that gives the Bible a bad name. John the Baptist warns that people need to change or face consequences. He talks about Jesus not as the gentle one who comes to love and to save, but rather as the one who comes to judge. And then John says that in order to avoid this judgment, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. This is not an advertisement for our rain gear and worn coat drive for the homeless. As someone at dinner church this week pointed out, if you have two coats and you give one away, you're giving away 50% of what you have. You're also giving away your safety net. You're sharing what you have so generously that you become vulnerable to poverty yourself. When John tells tax collectors not to take more than what they owe, and when he tells soldiers not to extort money, he's cutting off the main avenue that they have for making a living. John is asking them to take a moral stand that would cut them off from their colleagues and leave them with very little to live on. John's calling people to repent, to change direction. And the changes he's asking for aren't superficial. He's asking them to make a radical break with the world around them and to live differently. For John, repentance doesn't mean life as usual, but a little bit kinder and gentler. It means turning our lives upside down. I don't know about you, but this is not what I want to hear, especially in the festive time before Christmas. And I have strategies to get around those parts of the Bible that I don't like. Well, I say to myself, this was all written a very long time ago in a very different context, doesn't really apply to me. Besides, so much of the Bible is exaggeration to make a point. God really doesn't give, want me to give that much away to the poor, because surely God wants me to take care of myself. After all, I'm not a tax collector or a soldier. I'm not exploiting anyone. So this text really isn't about me. And I want to be really clear. I do think that there are parts of the Bible that are so particular to their time and place that they don't apply to us in the same way today. I think we should always dig into the context of a text in order to understand it and then read it through the filter of Jesus' love and grace. But I also know myself well enough to know that whenever I immediately start scrambling to come up with reasons that a text doesn't apply to me, there's something to look at more deeply. When we hear something we don't want to hear in the Bible, it's sometimes an invitation not to dismiss, but to listen. What if this does apply to me? 
what if John is talking to me? In the gospel today, John says to his audience that there is no home base. There's no group you can belong to or thing you can do. That means that you don't have some changes to make in your life. All of us need to be transformed. There's no way around repentance. There's no way around the call to live in a way that is good news to the poor. The way of Christ inevitably leads us to confront these things. Our faith is about transformation, about being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ, which is sometimes hard. When we talk about repentance and change, we can go really quickly to a place of self-condemnation. We start to feel guilty, blame ourselves for being where we are. You start thinking about dieting, for example, it's easy to go immediately to, oh, well, why didn't I start earlier? Why am I in the place that I'm in? Why didn't I start exercising earlier? Why haven't I been calling my family regularly all along? You know that drill. We also can start getting worried that if we try to change, we'll fail. We start thinking about all the other times we've tried to change and it hasn't worked. Or we find ourselves stuck between the sense that some change is needed and the fact that we really like things the way that they are. When I hear John's words about solidarity with the poor, I feel some combination of all those things. I feel anxious and maybe a little guilty about all the times in the past that I've tried to change and not followed through. And I face the fact that I don't want to make hard sacrifices, and I kind of resent being asked to do so. It's easy to approach change in our lives with a kind of white-knuckled discipline alongside a good helping of resentment. But the gospel offers us an alternative view of how to make change in our lives, an image of change that doesn't begin with willpower and gritted teeth. G.K. Chesterton, an early 20th century British writer, best known for his Father Brown mysteries, if any of you guys like detective stories, wrote an essay on Christmas called The God in the Cave. And in it, he suggests that most stables in Palestine at the time of Jesus were actually caves. I don't know if that's true or not. But he meditates on this idea of Jesus being born underground in a cave. He talks about the birth of Christ as a small thing occurring deep within the earth. The birth of Jesus in a cave was like, he says, a seismic event. It started small, but by the time the waves made it out to the surface, they were strong enough to shake the foundations of the known world. Strong enough to change everything. God works change in us the same way, I think. Jesus is born in a small way, deep in our hearts. But gradually and very slowly, that change works its way outward, and it can shake our very foundations. It can transform our lives, if we allow it, from the inside out. And so I, I don't think our job is to make lists of everything in our lives that we need to change in order to become better people. That path only leads to resentment and guilt and failure. Instead, our call in Advent this season of repentance is to set our attention on repentance, our intention on repentance, on following Christ even through the difficulties of change. 
And then we work instead on nurturing Christ deep within our hearts. And we allow that change to work its way outward slowly, even if it shakes our foundations. We keep seeking Christ and staying open to change. As uh, folks in 12-step programs often say, you just do the next good thing. Until one day we find that we're a very long way from where we've started. We've gone slowly, step-by-step, responsive to just the next good thing. I don't have easy answers for how to respond to John the Baptist. I wish I could say that I have concrete plans to give away half of what I have or invite a refugee family to live in my home, but I don't. And the very idea feels really scary and irresponsible. But I'm trying to sit with John's call to transformation and to radical giving. I'm trying not to dismiss it too quickly as not applying to me, not applying to us. I'm trying to trust that as we get closer and closer to God, if we allow it, God will continue to change us and move us toward God's vision. Maybe we're not there now. Maybe one day we will be. Because in this Advent season of change, we celebrate a birth in a cave that rocked the foundations of palaces and changed the world forever. My prayer is that it will transform us too. Amen.